0: Welcome to Powerhouse Politics. I'm ABC News Chief White House Correspondent, Jonathan Carl,
1: And I'm ABC News Political Director, Rick Klein.
0: Rick, I I know this is our second podcast of the week, but we are going to be joined by friend of the podcast, Tom Cole. We thought with the president about to go on his vacation to Bedminster, New Jersey, uh, so much news just in the last 24, 36 hours. We needed to check in one more time and go and find out from one of those Republicans that kind of has a sense of the place, what the heck is going on around here.
1: And what the heck, indeed, uh, we now know that a grand jury is working uh, with Bob Mueller on that probe. Uh, We now know, in addition to that, that uh, the president is at absolute war with Congress. He's blaming Congress for the low point in Russian relations. Uh, And, uh, and of course, uh, overhanging all of this is that Russia investigation, the president out back on the campaign trail, uh, really feeling it in West Virginia.
0: Right, and we obviously have a new chief of staff uh, imposing order to the West Wing, we are told. <laughs> Four days uh, in, entirely, yeah, different sure. <laughs> An entirely different, uh, uh, different thing. But then I, I, before we get into all that, I want to say we, the president was out in West Virginia. And, and West Virginia, I got to say, is one of those states that I think Trump feels most comfortable in. I mean I remember the rallies that he had uh, during the primaries in West Virginia. Uh, this is a place that he truly loves. He loves the coal miners – He feels a connection with these people. Of course, he won big in West Virginia, and he was on fire last night talking about some, um, you know, some of his favorite subjects. Hillary Clinton, the Russia witch hunt. Take a listen. The Russia story is a total fabrication. It's just an excuse for the greatest loss in the history of American politics. That's all it is. Let them look at the uranium she sold that is now in the hands of very angry Russians. Most people know there were no Russians in our campaign. There never were. We didn't win because of Russia. We won because of you. That I can tell you. Okay, I mean, classic vintage uh, Donald Trump. But uh, look what's happening. The president... Leaves uh, this afternoon for his, uh, for his summer break uh, in Bedminster, and he leaves without a major legislative accomplishment, uh, health care on the rocks. He leaves with the news that uh, the special counsel has indeed impaneled a grand jury, a sign that that investigation is digging in and developing and potentially expanding. Um, he leaves with his approval rating uh, now in the latest poll, actually in the low 30s, Quinnipiac. Uh, he leaves uh at what may be I, I think you could argue a, a low point in his presidency.
1: And I would argue in addition to that, John, that what just happened in West Virginia convinces the president that he is not at a low point, that he's at a high point. Take, this is a fascinating little window into, into Trump supporters right now. He's received with this raucous crowd in West Virginia the chance of locker her up or back. He's back on the campaign trail. He feels that I agree. He's so home there. And the Democratic governor of West Virginia, just elected in November, happens to be the wealthiest man in the state, Became a Republican at Donald Trump's side. He is feeling strong in West Virginia, and when he goes with these crowds of supporters, and I think he's on a high personally, which I think colors the way that he governs and the way that he acts as president, he feels like he is on the right. And he thinks the fake news and the, the witch hunt and all the, all the noise in Congress and Russia, everything else is secondary to the fact that he continues to channel the hopes and dreams of so many Americans. I, I think it's a, it's a fascinating little cap to a terrible fortnight for this president. He goes off with all of these outside forces crashing in, and yet he feels like he is doing great.
0: And by the way, that governor in West Virginia, Governor Jim Justice, I think one of the best political names that you could possibly have, Governor Governor Justice, Justice.
1: almost as good as Senator Strange.
0: Um, real character, owned the Greenbrier. I shortly after he he, he bought that place. I went and uh, met with him, uh, had a breakfast with him. Uh, a, a truly colorful. Colorful character. Uh, most of the staff had no idea that he was uh, switching parties and, and resigned in mass. And then he brings in a new staff. Uh, classic, uh, classic uh, moves out there. But, but you know, back at the West Wing, which just to, in, to give you a little bit of background, Rick, the, uh, the, the the West Wing is about to undergo some serious renovations. I'm not talking about putting like gold styling and you know around the place. This is not Trump renovations, not yet, this not is yet. National Park Service renovations. They're redoing uh, the HVAC system. They're, the, the West Wing, as of this afternoon, is going to be closed for at least three weeks. Uh, closed so that any staff remaining, not going to the president, uh, not going with the president to New Jersey, will be relocated to the Eisenhower Executive uh, Office Building right across uh, West Executive Drive. Um, and then we always wonder when they're doing these major renovations what's really going on. But, you know, but it's a major renovation. They happen <laughs> – uh, this wouldn't have been put off. It was actually supposed to happen under uh, the, the, the Obama administration. They managed to put it off to the uh, to, to, to the next president. I'm sure uh, the president appreciates that. But, but you do have the, the new sheriff in town, and I've been talking to senior officials at the White House, and what I can tell you is that you – you, at least in the way things are functioning within the West Wing, which is, as you know, is a very small confines, just, this, just the most senior staff and their assistants. Uh, things have changed. He has closed the door to the Oval Office, which frequently be open door policy, president, people running in and out to see him. It's a closed door. One of the president's uh, top advisors told me that General Kelly, Um, Chief of Staff Kelly literally is there checking names before you go into the West Wing. Nobody goes in uh, without appointment. Again, we're only a few days into this, but nobody goes in without appointment, without reason. I am told that Kelly is sitting in on virtually all of those meetings. And furthermore, he is actually sitting in on the phone calls because that's another one of the things with the, the inputs. I mean, the president maintains his cell phone. People call from all over the place. As of now, anyway when the president takes a call, Kelly is on the line as well.
1: Yeah, we'll see how long this lasts. I mean, that's an amazing change. Uh, One thing that I'm keeping an eye on, and I've talked to some people over there, former and current, can, can, first of all, the the discipline of, of the president himself, does he want to maintain it? And then, do the aides get frustrated? Do, do, if you if you're used to getting and the advisors if you're used to getting a direct line to the president uh, what does that do to the internal workings over there are people frustrated then with kelly and by the way does that start to to bring more leaks about we have a leak investigation a major leak investigation being announced today we know this white house has a major leak problem and not just gossipy leaks national security leaks the fact that we see the private communications of the president on the front page of the washington post when he talks directly to the leaders of of, of friends and allies around the world that That's astounding stuff. And Kelly has to handle all of that and manage this very fractious staff.
0: And by the way, be kind of clued into both the political strategy and the communication strategy. So, you know, it's hard to imagine that one human being uh, can can have, uh, you know, a a real impact on all of that. But, you know, Kelly is a guy that was known as a no nonsense uh, leader, manager uh, in the Marine Corps. And we'll see, we'll see who he brings in. I understand he's bringing in uh, his, uh, his chief of staff from the Department of Homeland Security. Uh, but but this will be, be an incredible challenge. And, and we have uh, Congressman Cole uh, joining us in just a moment. Well, one thing I, I want to just say to you, Rick, though, you brought up the, the, the leaks. And the most astounding recent leaks, of course, is the actual transcripts of the president's conversations Amazing. with world yeah. leaders. Amazing with the leader of Mexico, the leader of Australia. This is a genuine concern. This is not something the White House is just bringing up to deflect to, you know, from Russia investigation. This is actually outrageous. And it is hard to imagine a president conducting foreign policy if he cannot have confidential uh, conversations with world leaders. If the actual, not just details, rough subjects of what's covered, but actual transcripts, are on the front literally on the front pages of, of, a, of, an, of a major newspaper um, so I, I can imagine any White House would be absolutely out of their mind about this um, wanting to find out get to the bottom of it now it's important to point out these two conversations were early on in the administration details of both of these conversations leaked at the time but now you have the full transcripts maybe they've gotten uh, their arms around this maybe this is you know the end of it But, I mean, it is just truly extraordinary and something, in my experience covering the White House, I've never seen anything remotely like it. But on that note, I think we have Congressman Tom Cole from the state of Oklahoma with us on the line, friend of the podcast. Congressman Cole, how are you?
2: Hey, doing great. Good to be with you guys.
0: Thank you for joining us. I know you're in the midst of district work period, um, so we appreciate you taking some time and, you know, and talking to us. Sure. Sure. I, I could, we, we wanted to check in with you as, as we have uh, at several points during the, the first six months of, of, of this presidency about where you see things. We, we, we had been just talking about how the president's approval rating, you know, the latest Quinnipiac poll is down in the low thirties now. Obviously, uh, healthcare is on the rocks. Um, we, we just learned that uh, that Robert Mueller has impaneled a grand jury. Uh, it seems to be kind of bad news on all fronts, but you work with them. this is your president your your party's president uh wh- wh- how, how, wh- where do you see things standing
2: well it's certainly the summer of our discontent there's no doubt about that but uh i think there's it's a it's a more nuanced picture than i think uh, is generally uh being um, you know reported uh partly because there're just so many things going on and the successes have been what i would call sort of medium successes, whereas the failures like health care have been, you know, really substantial. But, I mean, this president, this Congress, actually have done more in the area of deregulation than any president or Congress in modern history. Uh, There have been major bipartisan accomplishments in the overhaul of the VA, in the um, uh, human trafficking legislation. And then, frankly, people seem to forget Democrats and Republicans did produce a trillion-dollar plus spending bill that had major victories for the president increased defense spending increased money on the border major congressional and really a republican went on more money for uh, national institute of health and disease research uh, all the appropriations bills in the house are out of committee four of them across the floor the other eight should go budget came out of uh, committee uh, with a unanimous vote having tuesday group people on one side and Freedom Caucus on the other, so that's the, ultimately the vehicle for tax reform. So there's a lot of things like that, but uh, look, the health care, uh, you know, setback was a huge setback, and uh, the way forward on tax reform is uh, it's a little clearer because we did get this issue of or this statement of common themes and values. But from a practical legislative standpoint, if you're going to proceed under reconciliation. We have two problems going forward. That's not immediately obvious to me how we'll solve. The first one is that uh, you know that has to be deficit neutral, and we've given up the border adjustment tax. And without health care, you don't get any savings there. So uh, that's going to impact the nature of the bill. Uh, and so where they're going to, how they're going to finance it, I think is is very unclear. And I'm not a ways and means guy. I'm a humble appropriator. And then the, the the second problem is uh, with reconciliation, and we saw this play out spectacularly uh, in the health care thing. When you proceed that way, you have to have unanimity within your caucus, basically, because any group uh, can derail the whole thing. You sort of subject yourself to being held hostage uh, by either the left wing or the right wing of your, your uh, conference. And we've seen both actually play out. So this is a very different uh, Republican uh, caucus and Congress than, than I arrived in in 2003. I mean, the old sort of Tom DeLay, Roy Blunt whip operation in the House meant you could pass major things with literally smaller majorities that we have now. You think of Medicare Part D, for instance, uh, they might be a struggle, but you can get it done. It's harder to do now. I mean, they, there's a lot more independent operators here, and you see that with uh, the uh, failure to get a budget last year, the first Republican Congress ever. Uh, not to produce a budget since the Budget Control Act and pass it across the floor of the House, and so uh, you know, anytime you're counting on unanimity, uh, you're running a high risk because we haven't, we've demonstrated we can do that in opposition. We certainly, I mean, I, I think uh, Barack Obama would be the first guy to tell you we're one of the great opposition parties of all time. If, if this were football, you would want the Republican Congress playing goal line defense for you because <laughs> nobody was going to score on them. But now we have the ball. Uh, And so, uh, you know, you've got to start making first downs. We've made some first downs, but we need now to get points on the board in a big way. Uh, So this next uh, few months, I think, is going to be really critical. Tax reform literally is a sort of must do, uh, particularly in the wake of uh, not having uh, gotten health care legislation across the line.
0: So can you explain something to me that that I just I can't get my head around? The, The White House came out this week um with, uh, with 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 uh, uh, Tom cotton um, in, in pushing for this uh, the, this immigration bill to radically cut down on the number of, of legal immigrants coming into the United States they came out big push the president himself uh, uh, coming out this is a bill that had been kicking around um, since February introduced in February only two two co-sponsors. Um, and as far as I can tell, on my own whip count, I don't have a, a um, you know, <laughs> my, my whip operation is, uh, is, is 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 lacking, but, you know, I'm going to get a sense. I, I I can't see how they get more than 30 votes in, in, in the Senate for something like that. I don't know where it would stand in the House. Why, why did the White House decide to make a big push on an issue that, as far as I could tell, wasn't on the agenda um, and when they need as you said you know the big push has got to be uh, tax reform is if it's gonna have any chance of passing they gotta go now why, why did they go off on this kind of you know uh, tangent, uh for something that seems to have absolutely no chance of actually becoming a law
2: you know i really i can't address that definitively i certainly don't have any knowledge of uh, what the deliberation or the thinking was inside the white house um, But it struck me similarly to what struck you. I mean, exactly why are we going down this road? Now, there's an argument to be made here. Forget the numbers for a minute, because I think that would actually be a very negotiable item if you were in this. The real question is, from an immigration standpoint, do you bring people into the country that bringing them into the country certainly helps them? But if it helps you, it only does it long term. Uh, Or do you bring people into the country that literally are going to help you immediately because they've either got a skill set, they've got the language, uh, you know, situation taken care of? And that's an interesting debate to have within the context. It's actually something I think you could compromise on in some ways. But it's not like the ground has been prepared for this debate or discussion. So I think, you know, politically it probably is helpful uh, particularly when you talk about lowering uh, the amount of unskilled labor, because that does put a lot of pressure on on your classic blue collar Trump supporter or uh, sort of uh, folks that are you know in the uh, you know in the construction trades or things like that. But uh, and and I do think that has had some impact on wages and uh, very unevenly distributed. So it's an interesting debate and discussion to have. But it seems to me to the groundwork hasn't been laid. And to me, I'd be focusing like a laser on taxes. Uh, you know, that was one of the failures. I'm not here to knock the White House. I don't mean that in a bad way. But, look, uh, basically uh, health care was outsourced to Congress, and that's fair enough. I see health care as a congressional failure, not an administration failure. But the president, uh, you know, wasn't out making speeches on it, wasn't out tweeting about it all that much until – you know, odds burst here or there, maybe uh, close to a vote. So if you're going to do big things that are controversial over the united opposition of your opponent, you really have to have a major push. And right now it seems to me the, th- the only thing that reverses the narrative that's uh, set in that nothing's getting done, uh, even though a lot of smaller things are getting done, is to turn around and have one big success. And so to me that's got to be tax reform.
1: Congressman, you you bring up odd bursts, and this week in the midst of all of this and trying to get an agenda back on track and a new chief of staff and a Russia investigation and the pace quickening around that, we heard from the president he signs this Russia sanctions bill, but he immediately says it's unconstitutional and a bad idea and Congress should get out of his way and stop doing this. And then he tweets, our relationship with Russia is at an all-time and very dangerous low you can thank Congress. So do you accept, as a member of Congress, a responsibility for the deteriorating relationship with Russia?
2: Absolutely not. I mean, frankly, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I put the, the blame where it belongs. And that's at the doorstep of Vladimir Putin, uh, who's been invading countries, has been uh, engaged in destabilizing democracies, uh, you know, has meddled in our own elections Um, So, you know, it's a pretty easy charge to knock back. I I think most people would disagree with the president's uh, assertion about who's responsible for this. The perplexing thing is that he hasn't been willing to call them out more. Now this seems to be a common illusion among presidents. You know, we had one president who was a Republican that could look into the soul of Vladimir Putin. We had another one uh, who uh, denied in a national debate that Russia was our major international adversary, and, and told representatives of the Russian government, "Don't worry, after I'm reelected, I can be even more flexible." uh... Now we have this. Look, we need to recognize. uh... You know, I have a healthy respect for Putin in the sense that I think he is a strong and uh, very uh, decisive and dangerous adversary uh but I do regard him as an adversary you know I don't have any illusions that uh, we we may reach a, a a modus vivendi with him in some ways because he is a sort of real politique sort of figure but his values are not our values his interests are not our interests and his goals are to destabilize NATO and undermine the West. That's how he sees he sees international relations as very much a zero-sum game, uh, where you're either winning or losing, and he intends to win for Russia at the expense of the United States. So, uh, you know, I think uh, the, the president didn't do himself any favors on that, in my view, uh, because uh, it flies in the face of what the thinking is, not just in the Republican Congress, but... Uh, across the foreign policy community in general, and I think it flies in the face of what most Americans believe uh, so uh, you know some uh, sometimes uh, i i don't blame him for pushing back on congress uh, I'm sort of proud to see Congress asserting itself a little bit more in foreign affairs. every president somehow thinks this is their unique domain. And it is. I mean, the Congress does. I mean, the Constitution does give them enormous latitude here. But at the end of the day, if you're going to declare war, that's a congressional power. If you're going to fund the military or engage in diplomacy, you've got to have money to do it. That's a congressional budget. So there's a role here for Congress to play. I think Congress in a bipartisan way felt very strongly about this. We don't see them meddling in our elections as simply a matter of the of executive Prerogative that 's just as much a threat to us. I mean anybody that uh, is elected to office is engaged in the political system, and we take this kind of foreign policy meddling uh, or this kind of domestic meddling uh, you know directly and personally as we should. No great power should ever allow any other power to interfere in its elections, although it 's naive to think people aren 't going to try and haven 't been doing it for decades they have. Uh, and it's naive and frankly hypocritical to say we never do it ourselves because, quite frankly, we do. Uh, But we have the ability uh, to uh, push back, and in this case, uh, Congress chose to do so on a bipartisan basis. It was right to do that.
1: Taking just a a bit of a broader lens here, Congressman, six months in, and you talk about the legislative failures in the summer of discontent uh, and Congress asserting themselves a little bit more. How relevant, Is the president right now? Is there a sense with you and your colleagues that you know what? Six months in, this guy has never done it before. He remains popular in in segments of the base, but he is he is just plain erratic, sometimes unpredictable, unfocused, and that you got to put your heads down and do the hard work of governing, sometimes regardless of the White House.
2: Well, I think the president is always relevant. Uh, Frankly, he's the most important political figure, not just in the country but on the planet. So what he does and thinks. Uh, is important, and he 's had some successes again we 're in the middle now of reversing the obama era decline in American military forces that didn 't get talked about a lot, but it 's pretty important he 's had successes on on the southern border uh, he 's had successes in enforcing a red line that Barack Obama laid down and then refused to enforce in syria. Uh, I think so uh, you know I think you know, I look at things like the Poland speech, uh, which was quite a pushback on russia delivered in a place that they're historically sensitive and, and sending a message about everything from Ukraine and Georgia to the undermining of democracy. So, uh, and frankly, while it may have been done uh, a little more uh, uh, roughly than uh, than I would have liked, uh, I don't have any problem with the President of the United States reminding NATO countries that they have an obligation to help defend themselves and to meet their commitments that they agreed to in the NATO alliance. That's no different than Bob Gates' farewell speech. It was just more directly uh, delivered and therefore more memorable. So, again, I wouldn't say he's out of this. And I think on the tax front, I do expect the the administration to be much more deeply engaged. I think that's an area where I think the president feels like he knows what he's talking about, uh, where he's got people around him that know what they're talking about. And, and frankly, they're people he trusts, the people that are going to, drive the uh, the tax debate uh, from the president's standpoint or people like uh, uh, gary Cohn and and, uh, secretary mnuchin these are people that have a relationship with him that predates his time this is actually a little bit different than health his time as president i mean uh, you know most of the people on the health care front clearly the president uh, you know, did not have a deep background in that. I did not think, with all due respect to people who were advising him, the advisors that, that were talking to him have the depth of relationship. So I see these things as, as different, but, you know, there's no question. Look, he hasn't ever done this before. Uh, that's that's one of the reasons why the American people sent him there. They wanted to shake up the system. They're doing it. Uh, and, I, you know, while the poll numbers are not what you want them to be, Uh, You know, I don't see deep cracks in his base at this point. Uh, You know, certainly not in rural and small-town America. A lot of that stuff's there, and uh, is pretty solid. I think you saw that in West Virginia uh, last night. So this is not a president that's irrelevant or should be disregarded, but uh, we clearly need to work harder as a conference to build relations, and, frankly, they need to work harder. Uh, You know, I I don't think – a lot of people in the white house at the senior level So, junior staff that they picked up a lot of really good people uh, honestly out of congressional offices that are in the liaison departments and all that sort of thing but uh, you know i don't think there's a clear understanding or appreciation of the role of congress at the, the most senior levels in the white house uh... or it's power and uh... you know uh... if you don't think it has power look at the budget the president sent and look at the budget that's getting passed they're very different uh, or look at the sanctions vote it's very different or look at the ability uh... of a relatively small group of senators to derail uh, a seven-year effort on health care so uh... whether you like it or not uh, as president you have to respect it and you have to understand it and i think you uh, you know they're they're still feeling their way on that front now hopefully uh... general kelly and there is a lot of hope about that a lot of us know him have met him when he was in uniform admire him as a person uh, but, uh, you know, so we hope that makes a difference and, and there's some initial moves that suggest it does, but we're not going to know for a while, uh, whether or not, uh, you have real discipline order in the process there. But again, uh, so, you know, we'll keep working and, uh, we still have a chance to, to have end with a pretty good year because again, there are a lot of successes in place. The big failure is healthcare. Uh, and that's one place, but if you get taxes and, uh, you know, you put together these other things, and you can come to a budget agreement. And that's something, you know, we've got two big budget deals in front of us. One is obviously the uh, debt ceiling. Uh, and the second uh, is going to be, um, uh, you know, can you come to an end-of-the-year spending agreement? Because, uh, And that has to be bipartisan. Uh, you can't impose, uh, you know, uh, one party in the approach process because of the 60-vote rule. In the Senate. And the reality is, in the House, you generally need Democratic votes to pass any spending bills anyway. So this is one where appropriators, and they pulled it off three years in a row, pulled it off in in May for fiscal year 17, really can sit down. And in that, in that, you know, area can actually give the president some pretty big victories as they did in May.
0: Hey, Congressman, I know you have to go very quick. Last question. Wanted to get your quick take on something I've seen in the Senate. We have two bills uh, one co-sponsored by Tom Tillis, the other by Lindsey Graham, that are aimed at making it impossible for the president to uh, fire Robert Mueller uh, without cause. Um, would like to just get your sense. The White House assures us the president has no intention to fire Mueller, although it sure looks to me like he and his lawyers have made an argument for doing just that in their public statements. What in your view, would happen if the president were to fire the special counsel?
2: Oh, I think it would be, uh, you know, very, very disruptive and uh, would become the dominant issue right away. Look, I I think um, uh, the fact that those bills are there, whether they're passed or not, is a message. Allow this investigation to proceed. Uh, And, uh, you know, most of us think that, uh, frankly, this is Uh, You know, we we don't see the evidence of collusion or what have you, but uh, between all the congressional investigations and this one, the truth's going to come out at some point, and that needs to happen. Uh, So, you know, this is sort of a scab the president needs to quit picking at, in my view, and you're just going to have to get through it. Uh, If there's no there there, you will get through it. You can be vindicated by it. But if you moved against Mueller, I think it would cause huge problems, on the hill and, and disrupt the rest of your investigation. I will say this, and I have, you know, no reason. I don't know Bob Mueller, but his record is exemplary in public service. Uh, I wish he would have found a few Republican lawyers to hire, just so it was balanced. I'm not saying anything against the Democratic uh... uh, uh folks that he's hired that seem to contribute to Democratic candidates regularly, particularly the Secretary Clinton. That seems to me sort of boneheaded politically. Just make it even. Uh, So that, uh, you know, when you've got a case to make, you at least take that argument away from you. But, again, there's nothing in his career to suggest to me he's not a person of great integrity and great ability. Uh, But, uh, again, I always worry about uh, special counsels because they tend to think if they don't do something that they, uh, you know, they, they have to justify their existence, whether it's significant or not. So. In this case, though, no, I think this is, these are major questions. This is a person of great integrity. He was appointed by, uh, you know, official inside the administration. Uh, so it seems to me you have to let this play out and uh, see what uh, what he comes up with, if anything.
0: All right, Congressman Tom Cole, thank you for joining us. and We'll see you when you get back to town.
2: Hey, thanks very much. It was my privilege to be on.
0: So, uh, Rick, what I like with, with Cole is you get the sense of what, you know, what he's really thinking, you know, he's, yeah. it's, it, 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 it seems, uh, unvarnished. He's highly critical of the White House, highly critical of, of, of some of his fellow Republicans in Congress and highly supportive in, 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 in other, in other ways. I mean, it's, um, you know, always a good guy to check in with. So
1: I, I agree entirely. I mean, you get you get a sense of where, where Congress is. And, you know, it's worth keeping in mind. I and mean, he, he referred to at the beginning of the interview, the summer of, of our discontent. Yes. You know this, John. There, there's an old canard about August being a slow month in Washington. Actually, August is very busy. And it's traditionally been a terrible month for presidents of the United States. August was the month of Katrina. August was the month of the Tea Party. August was the month right before nine eleven. August was the month of... Monica uh, the Pres- Lewinsky. Monica yeah, the, Lewinsky. The, 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 the president- testimony, yes. That's right. It, the, the, remember the Syria equivocations, that, that consumed a summer. And so the president going to be spending these 17 days at Bedminster. Yes, he won't be near uh, the, the team and near the White House press corps, and people like you, John, will be held at bay for, for a couple of weeks. But there's a lot of news that will happen. And in this White House, more than, more than any, you have to expect that, that this is not going to be an easy ride just because it's a little bit hotter outside.
0: All right. So, Rick, uh, full uh, disclosure, I am going to disengage a little bit, too. I'm going to take a little bit of time off beginning the middle of next week. I think we'll bring the podcast back on Tuesday. Uh, But then I'm going to go. Now, I hope that if if I'm gone for roughly 10 days, it's not going to be like the 10 days or so you were gone.
1: Uh, That much news, you mean? (laughs) I (laughs) said a high bar. I I said a really high bar, I think. I mean, I, I, I... I brought in Mooch. I killed healthcare. I mean, there's a lot going on and I and there was a lot yeah. going on when I was Our I'm just saying. Staff uh, gone, good luck.
0: Director. I mean, it was real. Good luck. Good luck meeting that bar. Good luck. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening to Powerhouse Politics. We will be back next week.